Well, this is a little bit awkward. Uh, I'm here, but I'm not here. I'm actually in Texas right now for a theology conference and then to visit with our oldest daughter who's down there at school. Um, You might already know this about me, but I'm actually not a big fan of video preaching, not even a little fan of it, to be honest. Uh, My issues with it really revolve around the impersonal nature of it. Uh, You don't have a relationship with the person on the screen. He doesn't have a relationship with you. It's more of a consumer-type transaction. Uh, That's not really the case here. I just don't happen to be here in person today. But I was here last Sunday. I will be here next Sunday. Uh, There's also just a little bit of necessity in doing this. We're a little bit short-staffed at the moment, and I called in most of my favors to get preaching coverage while I was on sabbatical. So in any case, here we are. Uh, Let me just pray with you as we open God's Word together. Father, we do want to pause this morning, and we do want to say thank you to you for your Word that speaks to us, that speaks to our hearts, that opens our eyes, and we pray as we look at it this morning that you would do just that, that you would uh, minister to our hearts, that you would open our eyes to see the things that we need to see. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are continuing our study in the book of Acts this morning. So if you have a Bible, I do encourage you to open it to Acts chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 17 to 26 this morning. This is really the second part of a sort of mini-sermon that Peter delivered after a lame beggar was miraculously healed. So let's read it now. This is God's Word, and this is what it says to us. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Well, I entitled this message, More Than a Prophet, because Peter emphasizes the fact that Jesus was the prophet that the people were expecting and waiting for, but in fact, he was more than a prophet. Now, I think we all have experience with waiting for something or anticipating something. Christmas is coming, so maybe it's a desired Christmas gift that we are waiting for or hoping for. Uh, Maybe it's a highly anticipated concert or a vacation that we're hoping to take. And sometimes the things that we are waiting for turn out to be a bit of a disappointment. 
Uh, they don't live up to what we were hoping for. Our expectations aren't met. The hype doesn't quite match reality. Sometimes the thing that we're waiting for basically just meets our expectations. So we return from a meal or from a vacation and we say, yeah, that was pretty good. But every once in a while, the thing that we were waiting for exceeds our expectations or even shatters them altogether. I had an experience like that recently. A couple of weeks back, I took our boys down to Seattle for a Seahawks game. It was kind of a grad present for Ben that was about three uh, or three and a half years overdue. It was a highly anticipated event in our home. We were looking forward to it all year, all season. And I've been to a bunch of Seahawks games before. Josh has been to a few of them, but this was the first time Ben had ever been to a game. And part of the fun for me was just being able to take in that experience through the eyes of someone uh, who hadn't been before. Now, we were there on October 29th, which turned out to be a beautiful fall day. I mean, you couldn't have asked for better weather. The game was exciting. It had some tense moments. The Seahawks scored a game-winning touchdown with just 38 seconds left in the fourth quarter. The place basically exploded, 70,000 fans cheering and hugging and high-fiving. So it was just a football game, but it was more than a football game. And Ben had high expectations uh, going into that game, but on that day, that game on that day in that environment far exceeded all of them. And we meet something similar when we think about Jesus as a prophet. Jesus as a prophet is a bit of a neglected subject. Uh, The coming of the Messiah was predicted all through the Old Testament. And usually when we think about that, we think about the king who was expected to come, the king in the line of David that the people were waiting for. And Jesus did fulfill all of that. But the Old Testament predictions weren't just about a king who would come in the line of David, but also about a prophet who would come, a prophet like Moses. And you can see that this was their expectation when John the Baptist appeared on the scene. Now, John made a big splash, uh, no pun intended. People flocked to the Jordan River to hear him preach. They flocked there to be baptized by him. And this caused a stir amongst the religious leaders of the day. They wanted to know who he was. And in John chapter 1, we read about what happened when they came to interview John or to interrogate John. Here's what we read there. It says, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Now, their question, are you the prophet, indicates that they were waiting for a prophet to come, but not just any prophet. Now, John the Baptist was a prophet, but he was not the prophet. This passage in Acts chapter 3 helps us understand that Jesus was the prophet they were waiting for. And so I want to examine the idea of Jesus as a prophet by asking three questions. What is a prophet? What good is a prophet? And what are we supposed to do with a prophet? The first question is the most basic. What is a prophet? When when most people hear that word, when they hear the term prophet, they think about one who predicts the future. And there is an aspect uh, of that in prophets. So prophets like 
Isaiah spoke about the coming of the Messiah or the coming of Jesus hundreds of years before he came. But the primary function of a prophet is simply to speak the word of God or the words of God. Now, he wasn't the first to be referred to as a prophet, but Moses was considered to be Israel's greatest prophet. Here's what God said to Moses. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them. That's the basic idea of what it means to be a prophet. A prophet, then, is God's authorized spokesperson. He doesn't just sort of share his opinions. He doesn't come up with hot takes on current subjects. He speaks what God tells him to speak. Now, if you are familiar with the Westminster Catechism at all, then you will know that Jesus holds three offices, the offices of prophet, priest, and king. And as we're thinking about those categories of prophet, priest, and king, we can actually differentiate between the roles of a prophet and a priest. In a sense, both the prophet and the priest act as intermediaries or mediators between God and man. The prophet speaks to people on behalf of God. The priest speaks to God on behalf of the people. So in short, a prophet is God's mouthpiece, his spokesperson. And when you read through the Gospels, it becomes clear that Jesus thought of himself as a prophet And those who encountered him also thought of him as a prophet. So when he had his famous conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well, she sensed this almost immediately about him. There we read, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Or we could think about the time when Jesus stood up and spoke at one of the Jewish feasts and the people sensed the same thing. John tells us when they heard these words, Some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Now, when they said the prophet, they meant the prophet that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. I will raise up a prophet for them like you. A part of what caused these individuals to recognize that Jesus was a prophet or the prophet was the fact that he spoke with authority. Jesus spoke with authority. When you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you find a pattern. Jesus will say, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And when he finished the Sermon on the Mount, we're told how the people responded. It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Now, Jesus was more than a prophet, but he wasn't less than a a prophet. He spoke God's very words to the people. So the second question we might naturally ask then is, what good is a prophet? If a prophet is one who speaks the word of God, we might wonder what practical help there is for us in that. Uh, When I was in Bible college, I served as the student body Uh, vice president uh, during my final year. I know it's kind of a big deal. 
Uh, but one of the things that I had the opportunity to do during that year is I had the, the chance to preach at a number of the morning chapels that, that students were required to be at. I had the chance also to preach at a couple of Sunday evening church services that, that we did. And I will never forget that, w- that when they were holding the elections for the next year's student council, uh, the guy who was running for vice president, or one of the guys who was doing that said, you know, I hope to be a vice president that does more than just preach. I don't think he meant that as an insult, but you can kind of understand the sentiment, right? I mean, what good is a prophet? All they do is speak. So I think about what happened in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. Uh, the book of Judges presents us with a picture of the cycle that repeated itself in Israel's history. The people would rebel against God. God would then hand them over to a foreign oppressor. When they, in the, when they were in, in the midst of their despair, they would often call out to God and cry to him for rescue. And in response, God would raise up a judge or a deliverer to free them. But there's a fascinating account in the middle of that downward spiral. In Judges chapter 6, we read this. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. And drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now, just think about how ridiculous this is. The Israelites are in their despair. They call out to God for help, for rescue. And God sends them a preacher prophet. What, what good is a preacher at that moment? I mean, this would be like calling BCAA when you're sta- stranded on the side of the road and they dispatch a philosopher instead of a mechanic or a tow truck driver. Now, in that instance, God did send a judge or a deliverer, but first he sent them a prophet. Now, we might think that their greatest need was to be delivered or rescued from their mess. But what the prophet did is he he told them how they got into that mess that they found themselves in. You have not obeyed my voice. And sometimes what we need most is not to be delivered from our circumstances. Sometimes the thing we need most is an understanding of how we got into our mess. So what good is a prophet? Well, I think there are at least three things we can say in answer to that. The first one is that a prophet is necessary to remedy our ignorance. Uh, This is the answer from the Westminster Catechism. Uh, Why do I need a prophet? Because I am ignorant. But this is also the answer from this passage. Listen again to verses 17 and 18. Peter says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. 
When Peter says you acted in ignorance, he is referring to everything connected with the rejection and the crucifixion of Jesus. There is a sense in which both the people and the leaders acted in ignorance. But the truth is that everything about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus had been foretold by the prophets. You know, even in modern legal cases, you will hear the phrase that ignorance of the law is no excuse. And what Peter says to the crowd is not just that your ignorance is no excuse, but actually that there was no excuse for your ignorance. The prophets had foretold what would happen. And the idea that a prophet is necessary to remedy our ignorance ought to lead us to both a general and a specific application. Uh, Generally, we can see that the prophets spoke in such a way as to make God known so that we are not left to guess what God might be like. And when you read through the Gospels, you will find that Jesus was doing this all the time. So, So many of his parables begin with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he will go on to describe not just the kingdom, but the king. King is a landowner who hires workers, or he's a master who sends out servants, or, or a, a wealthy man who gave this great banquet. Jesus, as our prophet, helps us understand what God is like. This means we're not left in the dark about what God is like. We're not like the proverbial blind men who are all grasping at different parts of the element, trying to make heads or tails of it. It also means that we're not free to just sort of think about God the way we might want to, or the way we might imagine or wish for him to be. Theology is not like a -a Build-A-Bear workshop where, you know, I I want one that's soft and cuddly and has really big eyes and a heart that pulsates when I touch it. To do that is to reverse the order of creation. It is to make God in our image rather than understanding that God has made us in his image. So God has made himself known through the prophets. That's the general application of the principle, but Peter's point is actually more specific. While he refers to the prophets in general, his main focus is on one prophet in particular, Jesus. While the prophets could tell us what God is like, Jesus could show us. Uh, This is the point made by the author of Hebrews when he says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Peter's specific words are that the prophets foretold that the Christ or the Messiah would suffer for the sins of the people. And it was one thing for the prophets to say that, but Jesus actually did it. Jesus is the prophet that God raised up and he has made God known to us in a way that no prophet who came before him ever could. Second reason we need a prophet is to turn us from error. 
Peter says what he says about the prophets in verses 17 and 18. And then he says this in verse 19. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So Peter is now playing the role of a prophet himself. And he says, repent. Now, this was always part of the message of the prophets. They forewarned of what would happen if people continued down the same path they were traveling. Prophets make people uncomfortable. They speak for God, and they're not afraid to say the difficult thing. We could think about what happened when the prophet Nathan confronted David. Nathan was the prophet who came to King David after King David had sexual relations with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed. And Nathan came to King David and he told him a story about a rich man and a poor man. The rich man, he said, owned many herds and flocks, but the poor man had just one little ewe lamb, which he loved. The rich man hosted a traveler who came to town, but rather than serving the traveler from his own herds and flocks, the rich man instead seized the poor man's lamb and he served it. And when David heard that story, he was outraged. He said, the man who has done this deserves to die. And it was then that Nathan uttered his famous phrase to King David, you are the man. See, this is what prophets do. They tell us in a very direct manner what it is that we have done to earn God's judgment. Now, I'll just say that this is extremely unpopular today. We want safe spaces. And what we mean by that is that we don't want anyone saying anything negative about anything that we do. We want constant affirmation. There was a fascinating opinion piece a couple of years ago now in the New York Times. The article was written by Lee Stein, and it was called The Empty Religions of Instagram. The article chronicled the way that Instagram influencers have replaced traditional clergy for many people and for many women in particular. And at one point in the article, she said this, but the women we've chosen as our moral leaders aren't challenging us to ask the fundamental questions that leaders of faith have been wrestling with for thousands of years. Why are we here? Why do we suffer? What should we believe in beyond the limits of our puny selfhood? She went on to say, the whole economy of Instagram is based on our thinking about ourselves, posting about ourselves, working on ourselves. And what that article is really highlighting is the fact that what we are looking for primarily is affirmation. We want someone to tell us that we are beautiful just the way we are. What we don't want is someone telling us that we're wrong. Now, I understand that. I'm not advocating some kind of toxic relationship environment where you're supposed to bathe in a stream of negativity. But one of the reasons we need a prophet is because we need someone who will tell us the truth about ourselves. And I can guarantee you that the Instagram influencers aren't telling you that you're dead to sin and enslaved in it. 
the message of repentance that the prophets came preaching isn't some kind of add-on to the gospel. It's a necessary part of it. Read through the Old Testament prophets and you will find a consistent call to repent. Turn back to the Lord. But the message of repentance didn't stop with the end of the Old Testament age. Listen to a sampling of verses from the Gospels. John the Baptist was a prophet. Here's what we're told about him. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then there's this description of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, where it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was also the message of the apostles. It's the message here in Acts 3. Uh, Look look what we see in the very last verse of this passage, verse 26. It says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. See, we need the prophet because we need someone who will tell us to turn from our error. We need someone to tell us when we are headed in the wrong direction. You know, it's probably been at least 25 years since I've seen the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. So this is not a recommendation. Uh, But I remember one scene in that movie quite clearly. John Candy and Steve Martin are driving down, driving their rental car down the highway at full speed. What they don't know is that they are on the wrong side of the highway and will soon encounter oncoming traffic. There's a a motorist on the other side of the ditch, desperately trying to get their attention. He's honking, he's making noise, yelling out the window, uh, all of that. And they eventually notice him, and they are able to hear him say, you're driving the wrong way, or you're going the wrong way. After hearing that, they roll the window back up, and John Candy says, well, he must be drunk. How could he know where we're going? They don't actually discover their error until they're staring at the headlights of a semi-truck about 50 feet in front of them. And I would just say, sometimes we make that same mistake. Through the words of his prophets, God is telling us we're going the wrong way. We're headed in the wrong direction. And we casually dismiss it. Third reason God gives us a prophet is to bless us. So we don't want to miss this. It's not as if the prophets were all doom and gloom. That word that might seem harsh to us is actually for our benefit. Notice again what verse 26 says. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning you from your wickedness. Now, in this passage, Peter actually highlights three specific blessings that come from making the proper response to God's prophet. The first of those is that we experience God's full pardon. In verse 19, Peter says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The Greek word that's rendered here as blotted out means to wash off or to erase or obliterate even. It's the same word that's used twice in the book of Revelation when it says that God will wipe away 
every tear from our eyes. So have, have, have you reflected on this lately? Have you thought about the freedom that comes from knowing that your sins are forgiven, that they're erased, that they're blotted out? I referred to the prophet Nathan's encounter with King David earlier. Most commentators think that David wrote Psalm 32 in response, or at least after his sin with Bathsheba, after he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. And that psalm begins like this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Knowing that our sins have been forgiven is a huge blessing. The second blessing Peter highlights is the line that says that times of refreshing might come. Uh, This is the positive counterpart to forgiveness. So God doesn't just wipe away our sins. He gives us new life and allows us to experience a renewed spirit. And as God's prophet, Jesus proclaims that over us. I, I mentioned this last week, but as a picture of that, I think about the paralytic that Jesus healed. And if you remember the story, you will remember that he said to the paralytic both, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven, and take up your mat and go home. And in a similar way, Jesus says both to us. He tells us both that our sins are forgiven and that we are free to take up our mat and go home. So that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come, And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things. The third that or the third blessing is future. It's a promised blessing. The promise is that Jesus will restore all things. So our past is taken care of. Our sins are blotted out. Our present is provided for. There's a renewal or refreshing we can experience. And our future is secure. Jesus will come again and will restore all things. All of the brokenness will be taken care of. All of the pain will be ended. Do you see the blessings that come to us through Jesus the prophet? Complete forgiveness, spiritual refreshment, and universal restoration of a sin-cursed world. So we've touched on what is a prophet, what good is a prophet. The last question is, what are we supposed to do with a prophet? And we see this question answered in verses 22 and 23. And those verses say this. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. 
Uh, Peter is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 18. And what those verses tell us is that we can either accept or reject God's prophet. Now, this is true about the prophets in general. We can choose to tune things out that we don't want to hear. I'm only going to listen to people who will affirm whatever I choose to do. But the prophet Peter is talking about is the one Moses said God would raise up. It's Jesus. And we can choose to accept or to reject Jesus. You know, Jesus told a parable that encapsulates uh, really all of human history. All of Israel's history, but even more than that, all of human history. Here's how this parable went. He said, and he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully, and they sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one they also wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. Then they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. See, God sent the people prophet after prophet to warn them, to turn them towards the Lord. And then after he sent them his son. And there were many, and there are many, who reject Jesus. Peter tells us that those who choose to do so will be cut off or destroyed. So Every action has a reaction. Every decision has a consequence. Peter says here, every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. But it's possible that we might hear that and think, well, I mean, I haven't rejected Jesus. I believe he was a prophet who taught a number of good things. I accept him in that sense. Lots of people adopt that kind of posture with regard to Jesus. Lots of religious systems or religious systems adopt that posture towards Jesus. Jesus was a prophet. But Peter tells us what it actually means to accept the prophet that God raised up. And what he tells us is that accepting God's prophet means doing what he says. The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. So how do we know that we have made the right response to the prophet God has sent us? It's not by checking out a box that says, I accept him. The way we know is by whether or not we listen to what he tells us. I mean, isn't this what Jesus meant when he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Look, my, my hope, my prayer for everyone who is listening to this or who is watching this is that none of you reject or dismiss Jesus. Now, if this is all new to you and you've got questions uh, please let us know. You, you can talk to someone who's down at the front for prayer. You can stop by the Connect desk in the, in the lobby afterwards. If this is all old for you, you've heard it many times before. But, but maybe today you've heard the voice of God speaking through his word. And you need to heed the words of Jesus as well. You need to repent. You need to turn back. You need to submit yourself to him so that times of refreshing might come to you. Let's pray together. Father, again, we do thank you for Jesus, our prophet, the one who has not only told us what you are like, but the one who has shown us. And God, I pray that there would be no one in this room today who misses or dismisses Jesus as prophet, Jesus as priest, or Jesus as king. Lord, I pray you would do a work by your spirit and that we would submit ourselves to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.